welcome to The Anthroposopher, where we bring anthroposophy to life through interviews, conversations, and explorations. I'm Lars Gabatici, your host. In this episode with Reverend Patrick Kennedy, recorded around Halloween 2020 and published here around Thanksgiving 2020, you'll hear us talk about spiritual beings, connecting with the dead, so many different topics. I had a hard time naming this episode, actually. He talks about manifesting the invisible into the visible, outer trappings versus inner realities, and how to approach each person as a temple. Yes, that's right. All of this is in this one episode, and I am very grateful for it. Thank you again for subscribing to the podcast and for going to anthroposophy.org to check out all the Anthroposophical Society in America's resources for your anthroposophical explorations. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hey, Patrick. Hi, Laura. Here we are. You're up in Toronto, right? And I'm actually down in Pennsylvania, usually in California. Yeah, we share a time zone. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> Our, uh, it's close to Halloween. And so, you know, when I popped on, I had my elf ears on. And I think that's sort of apropos because we might be talking about beings of other than humans um, on, our, <laughs> on our time together today. But can you tell everybody a little bit about your podcast, The Light and Everything? I thought we could start there um, because I think okay. that's a nice way for sure. people to get to know you. Yeah, well, uh, it's been a new thing we've started this year. I'm, as you know, a director in the Seminary of the Christian Community in North America here in Toronto. Um, uh, you know, a training for people going into the priesthood of the Christian community, uh, which is, you know, fully inspired and rooted in anthroposophy. Rudolf Steiner calls when he was speaking to us, you know, in the training of the founding of our movement. He called anthroposophy the teaching soul of our movement, the teaching soul. So we try to, to bring out what we're up to up here in different ways. And when the, when the pandemic hit, hit, I just knew, okay, it's, it's time. We just have to do this because people are, are stuck and they can't even celebrate Easter this year. It was crazy. So... <laughs> You know, I just leapt and we, but we did it through the platform Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com backslash CC seminary, mm -hmm. you get to our Patreon site where we host a lot of content, but also our podcast that we call the light in everything. And that's kind of the, the work we want our conversations to be wide open and take up any topic, but always looking for the light and in, in uh, that can be found even in really difficult things and to try to practice a way of seeing and a way of conversing i mean that's a really big part of it if you if you read like what people say it's not like wow patrick and jonah you know jonah evans my colleague they say such wise words it's not it's not necessarily that that they say it's it's much more like i feel like i'm learning how to listen by listening to you guys or it's so healing just to hear two human beings having this kind of a conversation, this quality of a conversation. And I think that's one of the things that really moved me about listening to your conversation with Connor, with your brother, Connor Habib. Um, his statement that inspires him that conversation will be an experience of Eucharist in the future. That's something that 
we also really believe in. Yeah. So we just invite people in. I mean, we we love to do it. We 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 abs- we we sit down and talk anyway. Basically, we take up these things anyway. And the difference is, is we press record, <laughs> and we're just we're we're ready to risk letting you know the world into that conversation and trying to think of everyone as we're speaking at the same time. So it's not an insider conversation either. That's so that's part of the the work of it. Anyway, some of the some of the episodes are also open to the public, some only if you're a patron. It's as little as three dollars to become a patron, but certainly people can go check it out. That's great. And that's also the platform um, Connor Habib is on too. So that's, that's right. a familiar platform. And I love what you're doing with conversation. And actually maybe we can we can I don't know. I have like 30 questions in my head, but, um, (laughs) but I'm glad you talked a little bit about the Christian community because when I'm at Anthroposophy, which I would like to hear from you in a nutshell, how you came to it. I think, I think you kind of came to it in your family. Um, I was sort of like, what is all this Christianity? What is the Christian community? It meant something so different to me and I hope we're going to talk about that a bunch today um but then I went to a service and I was like oh I was like there's something different going on here I don't feel like anybody's telling me what to do um or saying that I need to get up and sit down and sit down you know get up and sit down or um do do these sort of things and that I was full of sin. Um, so I, it was a very completely different experience that I know my, my mother uh, really tried to protect me from any negative religious mm. uh, experience because she had a very negative religious experience mm. when she was young, um, where she basically always thought she was going to hell. Like if you wore lipstick, you were going to hell, which I, I think some people believe that, uh, but that was not working for her. So, um, and she didn't think that would work for me. And she's right, because I do sometimes wear lipstick, but, (laughs) um, (laughs) but yeah, so I think Christianity and what it means to anthroposophy, I hope we'll get into that a little bit. Um, Mm. and this spiritual being of Christ, which is, you know, a new way of, for me to understand, um, that figure, um, and that presence, but. But can you tell me first, like, what was your encounter with anthroposophy? I, I know it's connected to school. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do usually say, you know, mother's milk in the sandbox. I mean, it was right from the gate. Um, I got to be in encountering, you could say, the a world shaped by um, this worldview and by this spirituality. And it was such a gift because my, you know, I think, you know, this 60s generation, which my dad described it one time and said, no, it really was like the world we lived in was like in a box. It was in a tight, hard case. And it just cracked open in the 60s. And, you know, there was this 50s generation of beats and, you know, artists and really original thinkers. MC Richards is a great example from that era. And my mom kind of straddled in between, you know, and she, (laughs) there's an image of her in Durham, North Carolina, 
you know, her father dressed in a, you know, dapper tuxedo, taking her hand and she's in this fancy white dress with the full white gloves at a debutante ball. Like, you know, she's like being introduced to society, like she's available to be married, you know, like it was, she came and then she got married and married an Air Force man and ended up in Okinawa. And there's a picture of her with like a blonde beehive and extended eyelashes and like her highball in her hand. Like it was like, you know, she was an Air Force wife, you know, in the first, she lived many lives, many lives. And, you know, shortly before I was born, then there's a picture of her with a you know, a little bandana on, no makeup, freckles. Um, uh, yeah, her freckles never stop. And she, <laughs> she's, like, she's like working on like some kind of pottery or something in West Virginia, you know, full on, comes back to California. I'm four years old. She starts a natural food store. We're going to the Waldorf School in Sacramento. Um, and, you know, just the whole, the the awakening that like, Mr. and Mrs. Cleaver, like, that's not it. Like, this kind of, I've got a cousin who actually wrote a whole book about the creation of the idea of the normal person. Like, it was like a 50s mission, like, to just, like, this, there's this, like, cut-out version of what a woman is, what a man is, what a family is. They're definitely white and they live in these little houses with these little, it was like this thing, right? It was just this weird space age. It was, it was weird. And life had to break through and it broke through for my parents pretty strongly. And she came back, she divorced her first husband. She came back to California for, oh, cause her, she had some family. Her mom had moved out there and she's like, I, she just knew in her heart I can't send my kids to regular school. There's, they're not going to make it through. I got to find something else. So she opens up the phone book and she is looking for a school. And she sees some ad for the Waldorf school and it's just started. And it says something like education for the whole child, head, heart, and hands, something like that. And she just is like, that's it. You know, good I mean <laughs> and she went to the school and she, you know she worked in the crafts um, as a craft teacher a little bit and just started to make her way in and um, so by the time I came along 1976 that was like 67 68 I think um, she was fully in I mean she was like doing the transcriptions for Carl Stegmann who was one of the founders of the Christian community, founders of Rudolf Steiner um, College there in Sacramento. And he was working on his incredible volumes on the other America, kind of spiritual investigation of how do we understand this extraordinarily um, influential and incredible land and nation called America? How do we understand that in the spiritual evolution of humanity from a kind of esoteric perspective? So he really wrestled with that. And she was, you know, like one of his assistants. So she was full in and, and so I, I only ever knew it. I never knew that other world, that other mom, that other thing at all. I grew up, I was in kindergarten at three and a half at the Waldorf school and, you know, spent most of my sixth grade year at a public school. So I just really drank it in. I had beautiful teachers in the Waldorf school. I really just drank it in as my world 
as a kid. You know, it wasn't a world, I wasn't told to believe this or that. Um, but you just, you just are blessed by a very rich, story-saturated, art-saturated, music-saturated theater. I mean, I was in the, it just was, I, I try to describe it sometimes to people. It's like, imagine you're a human being, but imagine the human being is an instrument, like a flute, like a recorder, you know? A recorder has like, I don't know, seven, eight, nine notes on it. But normally in our human life right now, in our human culture, people only play one or two notes on their instrument, right? They're like, do, 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 you know, like, like <laughs> you know, and, and then you have, if you go to public school too, then you've got, you know, well, those are the sports kids. And then over here, you've got the theater kids. And then over there, you've got the math kids, like everybody's in a different box. So when I went to sixth grade at the public school up the street, I got nicknamed Dexter. And that was short for ambidextrous. Huh. Which means you use both hands, you use both sides of your brain because they could not figure out why I was good at art, writing stories and good at football. And like, they just could not play. I didn't fit in any of the boxes. Right. And I could not figure out why the people were living in boxes. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just an unbelievable gift. Like it felt like this, I get to play every note. I get to play yeah. every note on the recorder. So that was really how you could say I, I met it in my life, but that doesn't tell you how I then came to it as, of course, as an individual, as an adult, that's different, of course, because not everybody who goes to a Waldorf school at all chooses to get involved with anthroposophy as a spirituality or a movement whatsoever. It, if anyone's worried about somehow kids being like mine, you know, you know, um, some kind of uh, unfree, um, what do we call that again? The, the I don't know, dogma or um, brainwashing. like ideology, brainwashing, brainwashing yeah. or Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid. People talk you know, about the Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah, there is too much evidence of the percentage of kids who just have nothing to do with it in their life, you know? They, they go on to just be adults in the world and, and, and have their lives and their destinies. And, um, you know, I think you meet, you know, special people, but they aren't necessarily at all turning to it as their own spirituality. But I did. I did. You did. And so you were like, oh, I want to be a priest. Does that happen? <laughs> like, how do, how do you go from... You know, I mean, I, I can see, I can see the court because you're immersed in it and that's a possibility for you. So that's the first thing. But then this it's pretty specific, you know? I mean, I, I've had times in my life where I've, I've been like, oh, I would like to be like some sort of, um, I don't know, something like that in a church, but I can never find the church that, <laughs> that fit for me. But I like this idea of offering, um, uh, you know, service to, to spirit in some way, which, you know, luckily now I get to do that um, through my position, not as a priest though. So how did this, how did this come to you? Because it's very specific. Yeah. But it's interesting, right? I think that's so neat that you just described that it, you had noticed some kind of a call in yourself. I think there are certain professions which are like spiritual archetypes like doctor, teacher, priest, 
farmer. You know, each of those each of those are actually kind of what it, part uh, an image of what it means to be a human being. <laughs> like we want there is a there is a longing to bring healing. You know, every every mother or father who has sick children kind of enters that role to a degree. For example, so I think <clears throat> you know the the priestly one. It's one of the core pictures of what it means because we we stand in this very special place as human beings in creation in, in the world as the ones who are the bridge between the invisible world and the physical world. And there's a just a longing in every heart to to stand in that place and do it well. <laughs> and that comes even simple things like seeing that the world is in need and being inspired by ideals, which are totally invisible and wanting to see them manifested in the physical world, right? So you're like, I wanna, I'm seeing these ideals, which is the same thing as seeing the stars, right? Ideals are the spiritual complement to the physical stars something you look up to, you strive for, that guide you, that you reach for. And, but you don't just like love staring at stars, like ideals that you just stare at, you know, like, yeah, that's, it's really painful if you, when we are idealists and we're like, you know, we should love each other. And then you go yell at your friends and you treat the people near you terribly. It's, it's almost worse than if you just don't have those ideals because we can feel those stars are unfulfilled until they begin to shine on the earth. And that's who, who makes that happen. It's not going to be the tigers. It's not going to be, <laughs> you know, as wonderful as the squirrels are. And I can tell you, they are amazing. They, they are not going to be the ones like, you know, solving that, solving our healthcare crisis. You know, like, <laughs> they, we are the ones who, who bridge this world, these worlds, and manifest the invisible in the visible. Yeah, mm. so that's, that's a big general description. I think why we're all called to the priesthood. And I think for me, it just was very, very strong. And I met, I had priests in the Christian community. So priests who, who were working out of an anthroposophical perspective, anthroposophical spirituality, anthroposophical practice. Um, and the way they were as people and how they fully stood in their humanness and met and met other humans. That was for me the first thing because the spiritual beings that were first in my life were humans. That's beautiful. I mean, if you want to start talking about beings for me, it was no question. Like if, when I would hear people say like, oh, a human being is just a this or that, you know, a, a complicated machine, uh, you know, a, a, a mildly disturbed ape, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever thing I would hear, it would never resonate with my experience. Like every face just is astonishing to me, you know, listening to a human heart, watching a person run, uh, um, 
listening to Aretha Franklin sing like I just did before I got you know it's like that you're meeting a being you're meeting a being and so awe and reverence was very natural for me in the social world and to see the way the people I met who were the most capable at making those meetings a sacred moment a sacred meeting a holy thing because they approached other people in a sacred way exactly the opposite of what you your mom probably experienced definitely right like just like I met even as a 14 year old like the priest of my life I mean that that was how that's where it began Laura I was 14 I was at a youth conference Um, I'm experiencing the youth conference of the Christian community so it's teenagers 14 to 18 east coast about you know 60 to 70 of us with these four great priests and that's too few adults, just by the way, but I won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> not, not in the eighties or whatever. That was okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. All those, all oh, those wonderful days of yore. <laughs> anyway, um, when they would sit down and have a conversation with me, they, they were actually interested. You know, they didn't, they didn't want anything from me. They weren't trying to convert me. They didn't ask me whether I was going to join the church or what religion I was, or they were like, what are you all about? What do you care about? What are you looking for in your life? And that experience of, of someone I admired and someone who was clearly more mature and older than me, look with interest and wonder, but, you know, also, you know, serious taking me seriously that was what's i would say the seed of my christian conversion to use a kind of christian term because what it was was like the actual forces that stream from this being it was something that was one of the most beautiful things i'd ever experienced that that just really that is really amazing. And I, I think that takes us into this idea of, you know, when I work with a lot of people that are new to anthroposophy and um, there are so, and, and this was my experience too. It's not everyone's, but it was certainly mine and, and definitely a large group of people I work with. They, when they think of the word Christian or they think of Jesus, or they think of Christ, or they think of, you know, they, they have like trauma around it. And so, and I try to, I, now my understanding is this, and, and this has been helpful in talking with um, other Christian community priests. It's like, what you just described is the best a human being could be is, is just attentive and interested and uh, selfless and in service to the person that they're with. They're not trying to get something. They're not trying to convert, as you said. They're not, there's nothing. And and you're right, my mother, I think that's the experience she had. First of all, she was bad and she was born bad, you know, and and there was only one you could, you would either be going to hell or if you did all these things in a certain way, you could go to heaven, right? Um, Which, wow, that that was very hard for her to live in. Um, But in this case, it's just sort of like, who are you? And what, what interests you? And, and you can feel that force of someone paying attention 
and really just being so present. Um, and that, that, uh, that force of love and um, interest and selflessness, that to me is that presence of what in anthroposophy, when we hear about the Christ um, as a being, those are some of the elements of what um, I can perceive that in myself or when I'm, when I'm doing my best to connect with, with these higher beings, um, which we should just even talk about what that even means. But, um, you know, I can sense those sort of qualities and they're probably qualities way beyond what I can possibly sense um, as well. But in my own human self, in this body that I'm in right now, I can, I can feel a difference in a higher capacity than what I can do every day. I mean, I mean, you can maybe do it in a moment every day, but all day long, I can't really, <laughs> yeah. I can't really do that all day long. Right, right. I don't know. So, um, yeah. yeah. So can you, so, so can you speak to the traumatized people right now? Oh, what are you going well, to tell the traumatized people? Because I was one of them. Oh my gosh. I mean, I think, I think it's fair to say that a certain tendency appeared in the modern era in almost all the religions over time of one of the ways to handle what was happening in terms of the changes in the world was to cling to the way things were and a great fear if if that is lost I, you know, if I'm honest, like I see it all the time in my work as a pastor and priest in parents, just like, you know, they get to be teenagers and the parents come up to me and are like, is there anything you can do <laughs> to prevent them from having to go out into the world and suffer and make bad and make bad, make choices that hurt themselves, make choices that hurt others. Uh, go down alleyways that are going to be dark, you know, you know, it's like, which parent is like, you know, yeah, sure, whatever. Okay, there might be, but then you feel like, am I neglecting, you know, is that, is that love too? Like what, when does the, the, the virtue of protection become the vice of prison? So one of the key thoughts in, 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 the world of uh, the perspective of spiritual science is the idea that humans are evolving and much more than just physically, that there is a physical evolution that we see recapitulated from conception to adulthood, but there is also a soul evolution. There is also a spiritual evolution, My, of course. <laughs> Yes, evolution is one of the most important thoughts of the modern era. It's just why limit it to the physical body? There's no, there's no reason. So there is a time then we look at with children, there is a time when protection is so the right gesture with them. You know, like it would be horrible parenting. <laughs> You're like, sure, you can have the keys and drive the car, four-year-old, you know, here, you know, like just too much there's a there's a time to kind of have sheaths a womb around a growing human so that they grow into their own and then there's a time where that becomes it becomes actually evil it's 
the same gesture. So if I don't let my 24 year old drive the car or leave the house or, you know, or have make their choice as to who their girlfriend, boyfriend is, I'm going to ruin them at very deep levels. And there, I think we can, everyone just knows that, like we just know that. So that's also another key thought in anthroposophy that, that in something that's evil is actually a good thing in the wrong time or place. Such a helpful thought, like protection. Yes, protectiveness is good, but not good all the time. It actually can be ruinous. It can be so important to let your kid fall on their face at a certain point. And be like, now what are you going to do? <laughs> and that, that you could say is also reflected on societal levels. So if you go back in the ages, you've find kind of this more parental care for the human community through the shamans, through the elders, through the pharaohs, through the, the kings and queens. There was more of a kind of parental relationship to the children, which were, you know, the us, the masses. <laughs> and that was also reflected in spirituality. So in the Catholic Church, that's still reflected because you, you call the priest your father and the church is your mother and pope benedict wrote a, a, a really beautiful book on what is this community that we're all called to and i'm reading through it and it's like you know gosh i kind of have to agree with a lot of this i was kind of hoping to disagree <laughs> a little bit you know um and then i got to this point and he says like i know the modern human being really wants to approach god like as a modern independent soul but you can't you can only do it as a child and I went, okay, that is interesting. That is interesting. Imagine children who are not allowed to grow up. Right. Mm. That's when the, in, in, in the fear of, of course, the parents saying, oh my God, the kids are growing up. Oh my God, they're leaving, they're leaving home. Mm -hmm. And so the energy suddenly becomes how can we do everything in our power to keep them home? And now it becomes evil. All that same stuff actually flips. And now people are throwing Bibles at people. Right. In the Protestant tradition, where they're threatening them with burning hell if they don't take communion. Like all of a sudden, the, the, this religion that was founded on the being of love starts being permeated with control and fear. Hmm. Fear as an inspirer of people's actions. That is, that is the signature of the enemy of Christ. So if you're trying to bring people to church through fear, <laughs> it's a different being. It's a different being. And that's our time. Our time is it doesn't matter actually what sign you have on your building. It doesn't matter now what you say you are. <laughs> mm -hmm. It matters what, what actual energies are active in and through you at a given moment or in and through your community's work. 
And that puts pressure on each individual because now we have to discern because there are lots of wolves in sheep's clothing and there are lots of sheep in crazy clothing, like amazing, beautiful, shining Christ personalities who are Muslim or Buddhist or, you know, embodied in totally different traditions. Now, I'm, I'm willing to say all this, of course, and out of the Christian community, no, you know, that I'm a heretic for many. And, and, and many in my movement would be called a heretic. And that's, that's okay. But it's, <laughs> that's just going to be what it is. But yeah, and you're saying that you're saying that because you're saying uh, all different religious traditions have these positive forces within people in communities that are coming through and it doesn't need to be Christianity or Islam or Buddhism or this or that it's about the force and the, the that's coming through that positive force that's coming through that's what if I we, yeah if if we're going to hold on to the idea that it's the clothes you wear and by clothes I mean all kinds of clothes I mean like the garment of your stated religion the garment of your nationality the garment of your skin color right that's an outer thing if i'm going to say the reason i'm virtuous is because i'm white that's like insane and we can luckily say that but if i say the reason i'm virtuous is because i'm a confessing christian <laughs> that would also be crazy as gandhi said very beautifully he said christianity is really really wonderful it's the christians that are the problem <laughs> <laughs> and one of the people I love a lot uh, who is not in the Christian community but a deep Christian in the spiritual sense I'm meaning uh, his name is Dallas Willard and, and he really talked about that's really one of the, our great failures is people hadn't been meeting enough human beings through whom the forces of Christ are shining mm-hmm and that's the only thing that matters is those real actual forces. Yeah, that's great. Can you can you say more about the forces? So but let, I, I heard love super clearly. Or is there anything you would want to add to that? We're <laughs> talking about the forces. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really beautiful question. I think this mysterious thing which is no longer can it matter what your opinions are what your background is what any any of any of the articles of who you are what ultimately matters is that you are that you are yourself a being, a self, an I. And that becomes the essential, important thing. And that's why it just hurts when a church is focused on somebody's behavior. It's just that it's when any community, any community and any spirituality, I mean, my gosh, Laura, I'm sure, I'm sure you have some interesting tales of your path into anthroposophy. 
where you may have been wondering, hmm, am I wearing the wrong shoes? Is that why I'm getting those looks? Am I wearing the wrong, am I missing the silk scarf? Like what, you know, where we confuse, <laughs> she is laughing people, but, but she's holding it back. <laughs> right, where we confuse the outer trappings with the inner realities. And that is a kind of violence, if, I'm, if, I, if I may say it that strongly, it's a kind of violence to the sacred holy element that is the self of another. That that itself becomes something I, I, I hold the most deepest respect. So, and, and I, you heard me talk about this before, but like in the, in the Jewish tradition, as in most cultic traditions with temples and gods, there was a place only the highest sacred priests would ever enter this holy of holies where the like eternal flame would be guarded by the vestal virgins in Rome or in Solomon's temple, this holy of holies. If for, for, for our time, that becomes each person to approach each person as a temple and that residing hidden from view in their core is a sacred flame and all of my approach to you is to approach you in that way and if i approach you that way the funny thing that happens is it sparks to life it's really weird it's it's very hard to so it's why it's also hard for me to talk about because the the christian attempt to convert people is one of the great violences in this if anyone has experienced somebody trying to convert you to Christianity, they're trying to reach in and like put a fire in there, put a flame in there. Here, here take this fire. It's just like, no, this is totally holy. And you should know that. And if, if you had any kind of relationship to the spirit, you would feel that. You don't get in there. So you could say, for me, this being we refer to as Christ, this being's entire working in the world is to do whatever it is needed to help those flames ignite and thrive. And I'm using those pictures, Lord, because it's like, it isn't a set of behaviors. It isn't like, well, you always do X or you, it, there is no always do. You know, sometimes like with my good friends, it's, you know, who I, whom I love, like it's been about like getting in their face. <laughs> yep. right? like, what are you doing? You know, and that helped them that, you know, just wake up to themselves. Not that I told them what they had to do, but I, you know, love is not, is not one thing. It's somehow whatever is needed in that holy dynamic between one another. Sometimes that's patience. Sometimes that's singing and dancing. Sometimes, you know what I mean? It's like, it, it, there is no one single thing. So those forces for me are like as manifold as all of the elements in the universe, right? It's, it's, 
it's the, a gentle spring day and it's full the full warmth and hotness of summer and it's the gift of going through the darkness of winter you know what i mean i could go on right but you know at, at least everything you experience in the course of a single year <laughs> everything the sun does as it travels through the 12 signs of the zodiac every you know like there's you know at least 12 ways that this being reveals its forces um yeah but they're all on that level that is more than physical well i thought it was so interesting in the beginning of this conversation you said you know virtues are these invisible things and so when we're talking about beings you know that's so that's so funny we're interacting with invisible things all the time but if you talk to someone that you know is an atheist which i really tried very hard for some time um but that didn't work and it was because I always was like, there's something invisible, but for example, a virtue is invisible. So um, we, we give, you know, we create that thing. Um, it's not like, oh, there's, there's that virtue walking by with its funny legs. So, um, you know, these beings we talk about in anthroposophy, um, they have certain, you know, like you're saying, these forces behind them and these characteristics, and we can feel that so easily in the world. I think we can feel the force of hatred. I mean, that is associated or could be associated with a being. We can feel the force of courage when we see someone in yeah. an act of courage. Wow, do we cry or we, we become, mm. we can't believe it. Or if we see someone in an act of hate, we have another experience. So, so I think this yeah, translation of what is, what is a spiritual being, it's like, like I'm just connecting it to what you said is that we can perceive these forces and that when we talk about it in anthroposophy, we would usually connect it to a, a spiritual being. And there, there are some major spiritual beings we talk about. And then, I mean, they're all like, it's, but, you know, I think in the, in the world right now, we, you know, we can point to the three that I think we talk about most, you know, it's the Christ um, being sort of the middle being that, and we've just talked about that a lot. And mm. then this, this being that we would say of Lucifer, mm. you know, which will tempt us into just going off into a sort of a new age, nothing wrong with new age, but just sort of like a, a wish for everything beautiful and wonderful. And, you know, and then this other being, and there's positive things about that too. And then this other being, um, which in anthroposophy you say Aramon, which would sort of just bring us right down into, for example, my keyboard and my computer and <laughs> all the digits and the numbers and the very precise things and not really in the human heart. Um, mm. as much. So those are just examples of some beings. I don't know, you want to comment on that a little bit? Because I'm thinking if people are trying to understand, like, why are they always talking about spiritual beings? Um, I had to make like a little leap in my head to, to think, oh, there are spiritual beings. Like, yeah, I can experience a synchronicity that maybe got me somewhere, which we would call maybe a, a destiny moment. You know, there's like different languages for different things. Mm -hmm. But the spiritual yeah. being thing is pretty specific. So I don't know. Got anything you want to say about that? <laughs> yeah, no, but I really like the way you described that. I mean, I think that the conversation with the atheist, if I may guess at how that 
why that didn't succeed is because you guys were just staying in the realm of logic. And, and with logic, you can really prove anything. And, and this isn't something one can convince someone about, right? Like two plus two is four, because you can always come up with this argument you know, that it's not, you can explain away these experiences pretty, you know, pretty intensively using, you know, neurology and um, just show them all as some kind of a sign of the body at work. So that's why in, in spiritual science, we, we do a lot of thought work, but it's in order to become aware of what we're experiencing. Because we're actually, if we are spiritual beings, if what do I mean by that? Like that, uh, a more detailed way to say that is, I have eyes and I have ears on my body. I have nose. I have a mouth. So I have parts of my physical body, which are more than just my physical body. They're made in such a way to let a whole world interact with my physical body. So I have a physical body that's a part of a physical world. And the, and the bridge between it are my senses. They're the gates. Well, I also have a have life forces in me that are they're more than physical. But if I have a life body that belongs to me, that holds up my, my body, keeps it alive. And when I die, you just see my physical body immediately starts to decay. So there's some kind of force that's holding it together while I'm alive. And that life body also has eyes, ears, it has organs, that can interact with the life world it lives in. And while I also have an inner world that's really mine, my thoughts, my feelings, and woo, it's exciting in there. <laughs> it's a whole landscape. It's a whole weather pattern, right? I used to, I remember people say, that's so superficial when people ask how the weather is. I say, no, 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 you don't understand. That comes from the tradition when everyone was like a farmer. And you said like, Ooh, it looks like it's going to rain. And that was like a feeling like, Oh, you know, we got to get, you know, it, that was a real inner experience. Oh, it looks like we're going to have good weather today was a feeling, <laughs> but that it, those outer weather patterns have become inner soul weather patterns. Like, yeah, how, how are you doing? We want to know now. And we mean your soul life. Right. So of course we're also picking up the soul. And that's what you're talking about with hatred and all that, right? You get to the, I love, for me, I always think of the Thanksgiving dinner table. For me, that's my favorite imagination because it's so, everyone is having clairvoyant experiences. You know, you, you know, you come, you come in there and, and you just see, oh man, you're just picking up all this stuff, like tension, that thought, this thought, this feeling. And someone says, oh, are, are you going to sit there? And like, there's this pause, like, what does that mean? Does that mean, oh, did I, I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. You, you know, there's all this stuff going on that is not said in words that is all, what well, you know, family dynamics. Well, what the heck is that? Those are invisible threads of psychic and life force things that everyone is picking up all the time, all the time. Or you're talking to somebody and as you're talking, you watch their eyes glaze over. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you go, oh, uh, they're absent. <laughs> or we even say, right, you grew up, we grew up saying like Earth to Patrick because we think they're in outer space because you can actually in your consciousness go to other places. Right. It's really not that unusual. Or just yesterday in our, in our class, we teach a weekly 
class for distance learners. And, and we were trying to build towards this and just that our thinking is actually and actually something that is like eyes and can see. That's why you don't understand something and then suddenly you go, oh, I see. And you actually say the words, oh, I see. <laughs> or when you did the cartoons that I saw when I was a kid, like a light bulb would actually like go on above their head and you knew exactly what they meant. <laughs> it just got brighter in someone's world, but brighter in spirit actually. Because mm -hmm. the spirit is actually shining into human thoughts. But because these things are so subtle, and because we don't have a language for it, it's not in our consciousness. So you could say Anthroposophy's first mission was, we need to create a language that can help us become aware of what we're experiencing. Actually, what everybody's actually experiencing. Now, even when you start to learn that language, it's not like you suddenly are like, have a room full of beings that you're aware of. <laughs> so there are of course gradations of perception that grow over time and you can get to know the signature of a being through certain things through certain qualities through certain elements and interact with them at a kind of lower level or you can actually have your consciousness raised to such a level that you can really experience yourself in the presence of beings who don't have physical bodies like humans. But this process you and I go through getting to know what it means to be in relationship with the spiritual being as humans is all the same qualities are essential to meeting greater beings. Hmm. Yeah, that's really nice. That's really nice. This is, it's like start with being able to be present with another human <laughs> and then and then maybe you can start to be more present with these beings that are there too you have to maybe be present with yourself and then uh, others and then you know you can kind of go through that development and i think um you know how to know higher worlds by rudolf steiner is like one of the most amazing and instructive and just beautiful books where people you know, uh, can really understand like practically, how do you, what, what do you need to do inside yourself and in your habits and in everything to be able to um, really have those, I don't know, an anthroposophy, like you're saying, the language these organs of perception. Um, so you can really understand the invisible um, that is just right there. So can we talk about another invisible thing? Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> and then maybe, and then maybe we can wrap up. But I don't know. The, I don't know. We could talk forever. One one time we should just have like a whole bunch of us on. Then it would be like six hours long. Maybe that's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the dead for a minute because I mm. I feel like it's an interesting thing about invisible or visible there, I guess, um, and how we were with people. And, you know, we having, uh, you know, lost our moms. And I talked about this, you know, my brother and I talked a little bit about that on the podcast that he was on, but it's like, and I know you, you talked about this with your brother in the, in the conference that we were in together. Um, 
that's a different kind of invisible being. Can you say a little bit more about that? And, you know, it feels really important to be having that con- mm. kind of connection right now. Um, I mean, all, we haven't even talked about like the elemental world and that's like a whole other thing. So I'm, I'm trying to yeah. get through all the invisible beings right now, Patrick. I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's possible, but you know. <laughs> um, I mean, again, I th- you could say, you know, the the instructions in how to know how our world in many ways basically are how to become a social person. You know, it's like, because can I listen? Can I be quiet? Can I have wonder and reverence for the other? Um, do I have integrity? Am I a person of my word? Am I truthful with myself? You could say all of these are the kinds of things which make me trustworthy. And if I'm a trustworthy person, what happens is, everyone knows this, I think, people will share things with you. Like, I, I feel like I can open up my heart to you because I don't feel like you're gonna manipulate the situation. I don't feel like you're gonna take advantage of it. I feel like you're gonna treat it in a holy way. Why would that be any different than the beings that are invisible? They're exactly the same, but much more subtle in their perception. So they will show who they are to the ones who show themselves to have become trustworthy. Hmm. And if we think about then our relationship with those who have died, those are like beings we know pretty well usually hopefully, and with whom we're very strongly connected. So they are usually also drawn to us and seeking to be with us, period. And in physical life, if I want, let's say my mom lived in Oregon, I lived in Maryland. So how did I get in touch with her? I didn't know, I didn't know her number. Right. You couldn't call her. You couldn't Zoom with her. You couldn't. <laughs> no, I, so I, would, I, I would call, right? You know, I right. pick up this, there's this object in my house that I okay. like lift up the receiver and I like, there's a special code I got to put in and somehow it lands at her address. It's really weird, right? The, phone, the phone's amazing, right? And then, and then I put it to my ear and then she, she answers. Mm-hmm. So first of all, that's amazing. So I think of her and then I do something that is uniquely connected with her. There's a number that matches only her phone. And then I listen and then I speak and then I listen and then I speak. And in the process, I feel, I hear the sound of her voice. I remember her, I know her. All of these things are the same, actually, when we try to connect to the dead. We just don't pick up a physical phone. The The signature is now a memory. It's a really great tool. Like, mm. I'm looking at your face. There is no other face in a universe that reveals the being Laura except that one. You, 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 you shine out of that. It's incredible. You've left... Your being has actually shaped matter in such a way that your eyebrows and your smile and everything reveals your being. 
And that actually is impressing into me and actually leaving an imprint so that I close my eyes and I can still see you. You actually, I'm my, I, in our life bodies, we actually are carrying a kind of wax, a kind of etheric life wax. And every person is making an impression upon that. And they're, and what is it? It's like their thumbprint, just like your thumbprint, Laura, leads back to you. If, if you do a crime, like they will find only you. <laughs> the memory leaves an imprint by that being. So when we remember someone who has died, it's like dialing the number. You, you, and you know it, you remember this person you love and you like all of a sudden the next thing that happens is you have feelings. Like first you, you picture them and then in through that image streams something from a higher world, which is the soul world, feelings smile comes to your face. I have a particular image of my mom bent over in her front in her um, pink wool blanket, leaning forward, watching BBC comedies and cracking up. Like, that's just one of the ones that I think of, you know, and it just, it just is such a signature of her for me. And my heart warms and it opens. And it's really not very far then to say, hi, mom. Hi, mom. And you just feel, I can, this is a line. And, and I can give, you know, you, I owe you so much. I can now let something ray out of my heart to you. Thanks, mom. Thank you. Thank you for everything you gave me. I love you. I'm thinking of you. You want to read a book together? <laughs> you know, I can think thoughts that in your world you maybe be able to experience because I'll think spiritual thoughts for a little time. If I'm thinking about the grocery list and, you know, whatever, whether the, whether the, the you know, the Golden State Warriors won a game, she's probably not going to pick that one up. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's amazing. That was an amazing explanation of that connection. The phone was such a good picture you know, because it does, it has that number, that, that, that certain thing. And I have to tell you, when you got on and you told me you're re listening to Aretha Franklin, that's one of my mom's numbers. And so there you go. your mom's hanging out with us now. And now my mom's here and they're both cracking up probably because <laughs> <laughs> they're those kind of ladies. Um, but yeah, that, that was really, that was so clear. Thank, thank you for that. And I just, I feel like, we have this potential, you know, with these spiritual beings and then with the dead, which are, you know, they're closer to us. There's, I, I'm just thinking of like my friend Jordan, for example. Mm. And mm. sometimes I'll be thinking like Jordan, mm. yeah, I'm emailing Jordan and then my text mm. will go off and it'll be Jordan. So, yes. you know, we have these, these ways that we're, yeah. that we're connecting. And I think those capacities will just keep developing um, they are and they're growing a lot i think in fact i would say there's a lot of people it's just really expanding and they don't know what to do with it and there's no language for it in our in our culture and it's hard to deal with because what do you what do you do with all this information that you're getting because you know all these things telephone the google internet the cloud you know we call it the freaking cloud i mean that's an image of the actual 
um, living field of thoughts that is surrounding the earth in which all of our thinking is also embedded, that's the subnatural, you know, digital electrical expression. Everything that we see is also a vi is, is an expression of that. So telepathy is the, you know, connected to tele um, telephone, tel teleaudio, and telepathic would be connected to television. We even call it that, you know, so all those things are connected to actual higher capacities. Yeah, so I wonder what Zoom means. It's like really fast. Yeah, Zoom, right. It's like going, it was like, listen, we're gonna take it up another level, humanity. Get ready, we're gonna Zoom. And so yeah, you well, got all these people well, just like waking up. Laura, Laura, in like five years, you know, you will we'll be having this conversation in a shared room and you and I will be like holographic. Uh, <laughs> That will be a possibility. We'll be in the room together, projected. It'll be an avatar of who we are. All those things, even the word avatar, that comes out of spiritual tradition. So it's not that weird. It really isn't. And we just, what anthroposophy gives us is a language to understand it, to name it, to, and then a path to bring it some order and, and, gain steadiness and strength in our core because it's not like life gets easier <laughs> no because you are moving towards the spirit right you have you grow in responsibility you grow in work which is what we want because we want to grow up for me that's the theme today it's like the, the there is a version of all these things that has to do with the grown-up version Right. And it's time for us to grow up. Thank you so much for talking with me today. And I, I'm so excited because we weren't like talking about like the next webinar we're doing or like the logistics for the hotel or um, we, just yeah, got right. to, <laughs> we just we just got to talk. It's yeah. so amazing and about some really beautiful things. Thank you so much for your time and total um, joy. Yeah. And we can find you again at patreon.com slash CC seminary. seminary. Yeah. CC seminary. Okay. Awesome. Patrick. Or Christian community seminary.ca. That's our website. That's Christian also community seminary.ca. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much, Patrick. And I'll Bye, talk Laura. to you again soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Check out our sponsor, Educaredo. It's a nonprofit volunteer run organization that offers accessible, experiential, self-directed distance learning courses based on the principal ideas of Rudolf Steiner. The courses are designed to awaken an individualized relationship to anthroposophy through readings, experiments, creative activities, and exercises towards inner development. Over 3,500 students from 30 countries have participated in their 26th lesson course in the Foundations of Anthroposophy. They also have several other anthroposophical courses available in different subject areas. The foundation year only costs around 260 US dollars, and as a sponsor of the podcast, $100 will be donated to the ASA, the Anthroposophical Society in America, for every individual enrollment in any of their courses using the code ASA. There's so many possibilities for learning more about anthroposophy, and this podcast is one of them. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us today on The Anthroposopher. Stay tuned for our next episode.